You're listening to Your Woo Woo Best Friend, a no BS approach to wellness, spirituality, manifestation, and all things mystical. Hello, hello, it's Andy. This is Your Woo Woo Best Friend. Okay, my friends, how is the summer reset going? We talked about it on last week's episode. Have you started your summer reset? We're focusing on four categories. This is totally a DIY reset. And I started this past week. The episode was the catalyst for me. One of the things I really love about podcasting is there's some accountability in sharing with you what my plans are because we get to chat about it. I get DMs and emails from you, and it feels like I've got this group of besties that are in it with me. So the reset, the summer reset, is focusing on the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, and the physical. And the reset can be whatever you want it to be. You can really do whatever you want. What I'm mostly am encouraging you to do in this reset is to think about those four categories, to think about those realms of your life and approach those four realms of your life consciously as you go into the summer. So considering the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, and the physical, think about how you show up in each of those categories and treat yourself like the badass that you are this summer. If you're doing the reset with me, let me know what you're up to. What new routines, what new rituals are you incorporating into your life? What's come up for you? I invite you to journal about those four categories, those four realms, and really think about how you're treating yourself, how you are showing up for yourself. We also have launched the Manifestation Masterclass. Again, it's available on WeWe Studio and it's free. So if you missed it the last time we made this really special masterclass available, it's now back on WeWe Studio. It's a four-step class to help you design and master your manifestation plan In it, I show you how to turn stale plans and unclear visions, old habits, tired ways of doing things into a soul-led life that attracts. That can and should be your story. That should be how you are showing up for you. So I'm cheering you on and I'm giving you the exact model that I use to turn my goals into a manifestation machine that practically runs itself. You're going to learn tips for protecting your aura which will help you to improve your manifestation ability considerably. A four-step process to design your manifestation plan, the basics of vision boarding and how to use it in your manifestation practice, and the mantras that I use to invoke the wealth of the universe. So go take the class. It's free. And hopefully it'll help you with the summer reset And those categories of emotional and mental and spiritual and likely physical too. Okay, so this episode today, I have a very special guest and I'm going to talk about my guest in just a second. I'm so thrilled to have her on the show. She has an amazing podcast of her own. It's a podcast that really has been expansive for me. So I was really excited to invite her here. But before we talk about my guest and before we get into the interview, I want to talk about comparison. One of the things we're going to talk about in the episode as we get going is putting our idols on pedestals. And that got me thinking about social media and how we not only put our idols on pedestals, but also pretty much everybody else that we see on social media that we're inspired by, sometimes envious of, sometimes expanded by, but how often we believe that our life is not as beautiful and wonderful and magical as the folks we see on social media. We're on social media. This is a stat, the average, maybe not you, maybe not me, maybe you're more than this, maybe you're less than this. As humans... We're on social media about two and a half hours a day. And lots of good can happen during that time. We're creating, of course, we're connecting to our communities, we're sharing stories and causes that are of importance to us. 
However, while we're there, we're often comparing our lives as well. We're comparing our lives to other folks that are often just doing the same thing we are. They're refreshing that app every 10 seconds. They're checking their follower counts. They're hoping that all the energy that they're putting into what they're sharing drives traffic to their businesses or their blogs. They're often just working in their pajamas all day. They're on that third cup of coffee. They haven't washed their hair in days. And yet what you see is something quite different. We're comparing ourselves and our behind-the-scenes stories to other people's big moments. We're seeing only their successes or how funny they are, how engaged their people are. And we forget that They've also likely spent hours upon hours in our exact shoes. So I invite you to, if that's you, if you're like, uh, yes, I'm feeling that, I invite you to get out of your head and into action. Turn your comparison into inspiration. Take the folks that you're putting on a pedestal and step up on a pedestal next to them and look them in the eye. Rather than letting other people's wins diminish you, let their successes expand you into new possibilities. Here's two ways I like to do that. So the first one I call the origin story. Okay, so what I'm going to recommend here, this origin story activity might seem counterintuitive, but trust me, this has worked for me time and time again. So here's how you do it. Start by thinking about someone who you aspire to be like And then dig in until you find their origin story. And I'm not talking about reading the about page on their website. I'm talking about their real deal origin story. So how do you find that? Well, if you're on Instagram, typically you can start to find the origin story by scrolling all the way back. This is assuming they haven't deleted everything that actually is who they were back in 2013 when this app was coming out, I want you to scroll so far back that you can see where their journey began. If they have a business or they have a blog or some other form of putting themselves out on the internet, go take a look as far back as you can go. To be really honest, I have blog posts that will never see the light of day again, Not that I don't want you to know my origin story, but it's like I look back and I'm like, "Mm, that's not it, sister. That is not it. But a lot of my stuff is still there. And a lot of the folks that I consider to be expanders, their stuff is still there. And there's several things that you'll likely uncover in this process. Number one, you'll realize that they are just like you. They had a starting point. They tried things out. They tested ideas. They had successes and failures. And along the way, they kept showing up. And then secondly, you may also learn about some of the things that they did to start gaining momentum in whatever the world that they're living in is now today that will inspire you to take on some of those things that made them successful. So here's an example for me. Several years ago, after I started my blog, I started to discover that there were other folks in the space in which I'm hanging out in that we're creating online courses. I had started my first online course and I had some folks show up to it. And some of those folks are still in my community now. I think we had about maybe eight people in my very first course. I knew there were other folks that were having great successes with online courses and membership communities. And I wanted to find a way to create that in my own business. I wondered how in the world do I step into a process where I can invite more people into my community through the courses that I'm creating, through the membership communities that I offer. So I turned to the Instagram pages and the blogs of a few creators that I admire. So one example would be Catherine of Manifestation Babe. Some of you may follow her and be familiar with her work. I scrolled all the way back and found that Catherine not only shared her process of building her community, she shared income reports her first year, by the way, she made $9,000 for the year and was living on her grandmother's couch. The very next year after launching her online course, she was in the high six figures. And if you were to take a look at her now, if I had only looked at her 
most recent posts, I'd see her traveling, driving a fancy car, living in a beautiful home, and perhaps I'd get discouraged and think, okay, I can never get to that level. Instead, I let her success and her growth trajectory inspire me. And I looked back and saw, okay, she was exactly where I was at one point as I was starting to build my course programs. And at the beginning, she wasn't driving fancy cars and traveling all over the world. She was living on her grandmother's couch and she has created a life for herself, fully believing in what's possible and look what she's created. So the origin story, what I love about that process is allowing yourself to step into someone else's shoes at the very beginning or wherever it is in the process that they were where you are today and seeing the possibility of your own growth. The second thing I want you to do is visualize, you know I'm all about a visualization, visualize what you want to experience. So before you open Instagram and get yourself into the comparison game, visualize taking something amazing from the experience. Open your social pages with good vibes only, and the second something or someone on the app brings you down, either unfollow, unfollow. It is okay to unfollow if something is bringing you down or close it and do not re-engage until you can come back with a positive mindset and a different way of thinking. The end. I truly do not believe that you can use these apps to grow your business or to feel inspired or to expand your way of thinking if it makes you feel bad. It's Just like the algorithm, whatever emotional frequency you are putting out when you're engaging on the internet is what you're going to get right back. It's what's going to be served to you. So if you find yourself feeling triggers, if there's something firing in your mind when you get on to social media, address what it's all about. Notice who and what you're following and make adjustments where you need to, to protect your mindset at all costs. And that's how we start to step out of comparison, at least in regards to how we use social media and what it can potentially do to our mindset. All right. So that's, that is my recommendation for you. If you are finding yourself in that comparison cycle, in that comparison loop at all. All right, so let's talk about my guest. I'm so excited for you all to meet today's guest. Today's guest is Chelsea Reif. She is, she's so, she's so cool. She's a mindset and podcast coach. She actually coaches other podcasters on podcasting. No pressure. She's a podcast host, of course, and she hosts the show In My Non-Expert Opinion. I really love her show. It's life conversations from a woman going through the same shit as you. She offers weekly episodes around mindset, money, entrepreneurship, travel, podcasting, of course, lifestyle, all through the filter of transparency and context. And her episodes are funny, they're intuitive, they're emotional. She gives a lot of just really great step-by-step guidance and direction around business and podcasting since that's her big focus right now and something that she's supporting other entrepreneurs with. She has a program in which she guides podcasters and creatives and entrepreneurs on launching, growing, and monetizing their podcasts with strategies that have a whole lot of personality as well. So if you're a podcaster and you're listening, definitely go check out her work. Let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Chelsea Rife. Hey there, Chelsea. Welcome to your woo-woo best friend. Thanks for being here today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is a a really fun episode because we're going to, it's kind of meta. We're going to talk about on a podcast, we're going to talk about podcasting because that is one of your wonderful expertise focus areas in in your life. And you've got a lot going on in that regard. So I'm excited about that. And we're going to just talk about a lot of the things that we all have on our minds around life. And that's what I love so much about your show is it is something that doesn't really have one specific niche. It's a show about life conversations from a woman going through the same shit as you. So that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to talk about the same shit that people are going through. Amen. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So 
To get us started, Chelsea, podcasting is obviously such an incredible way to increase the conversations that you're having in your communities. It's a great way to make money. It's a great way to express creativity. Tell me your podcasting story. Yeah, absolutely. So back in college, I knew I loved reporting, being on camera, hosting. I actually went to school for broadcast journalism. I wanted to be an ESPN reporter. And then that just quickly went down the drain when I realized how much work you have to do for how long and for how little pay until you can actually break through. I was like, I want to take a path of least resistance. Let me try something else. So I went to grad school for digital media and storytelling at Loyola. Absolutely loved that program. We learned about storytelling through audio, through video, through visuals. And it just felt like a place where finally I understood that you could create content and storytell as a career outside of reporting and hosting. So I found that really interesting. And then somehow I ended up in a sales job, a software sales job, selling a software that housed influencers and content creators. So it was interesting because it's like I was kind of in the field that I wanted to be in, but I was on the sales side. And I remember after a while, my job was just looking at blogs and podcasts and content all day long. Actually, podcasts weren't even that big yet. And I just remember thinking, wait, I went to school for this and I love doing this. Why am I not on the content creation side? So I started my own podcast in 2017. It was actually originally called Oh My Pod. And then I found another podcast had the same name with a lot more episodes out. And I was like, I guess I have to change it. So I changed (laughs) it to in my non-expert opinion. And now I've been running a weekly show since 2017. Yeah. I, I mean, and the name of your show is so good. It's so, I mean, it's such a great show because you, you truly are like everyone's, okay, we call our show your woo-woo best friend. So I'm like that for people. I'm like, I'm your woo-woo best friend, but you're like everybody's best friend because you really <laughs> give women an opportunity to hear perspective on all sorts of topics, all sorts of things that you've gone through and that they're going through. And you do that with a sense of just incredible transparency. And I find when I'm listening to your show, I'm like taking really great notes of like, ooh, let me try this approach or like, oh, I hadn't thought about things that way. And you talk about things like mindset, money, entrepreneurship, travel, lifestyle, all of those things. Tell me about a couple of the conversations you've had on the show that have been the most impactful for your life. Oh my gosh. The show has brought me so much more than I ever thought it would. When I started, it was just a creative hobby. So I love this question because there are so many people I've had on that have made an incredible impact. Um, I remember one person I had on Um, Michelle Pelazon, she runs the show Holisticism. Her and her team member Wallace were actually just recently on, and we talked about um, being skeptical and spiritual. And I actually think it's something that a lot of us, when we first start our spirituality journey, it feels a bit isolating. At least it did for me. So I'll speak Mm. about my experience. Yeah. Um, And I was like, you know, no one gets it. No one understands. No one's going to like, I feel weird. I feel like I'm making things up. And We talked about how like data and intuition actually go really hand in hand. And it was just a conversation I haven't heard before that I was like, oh, yeah, you get to be both, right? You you can love data and science and nerd out on analytics, but you can also have a really strong sense of intuition and maybe not be able to explain things, but the data will show you that your intuition was right. So it was just a really cool conversation. And that just happened pretty recently. Um, I think that one was pretty impactful. And then I've also interviewed a financial coach about money and I actually ended up hiring her and her name is Chiama. She was incredible because she helped me understand money in a much different way that I hadn't heard before. And she really helped me stop feeling guilty about money. Mm. And that was a big, big block in my life for a really long time. It's, It's something I'm still working on, but that was an incredible conversation. And both of those conversations, I don't know would have happened had I not started a podcast. Yeah, it's uh, I saw this meme the other day that said, okay, what did it say? I think it was on Overheard LA. So maybe it wasn't quite a meme. It was just a, you know, something LA people say. And it was, um, she doesn't go to therapy because she has a podcast. Oh, <laughs> that was my just God. Like, so good. I was like, wow. Yeah, we all get I to have that. these conversations, right? That like sometimes they they were going so incredibly deep with people and getting to like get to the root of our our stuff and our psyche. And 
have very expert opinion conversations with people who have such a wealth of knowledge and we get to do it as hosts basically for free and get all this insight that these folks can bring us. Yes. I always tell people, I'm like, stop emailing or DMing people to pick their brain and start a podcast and you can talk to them for an hour for free. It's a much better exchange for both parties. Yeah. Okay. Well, in in, uh, in that vein, asking for a friend, um, <laughs> how does one host a chart-topping interview, podcast queen? Oh, oh my gosh. Chart-topping interviews. I think the more specific you can get, the better. Um, the more research you can do and the more preparation you can do, the better. And the more you can really, I like to call it double click on someone's answer, the better. So I can walk you through a few of those points I just made. Um, I think a good interview starts way before you actually sit down with your guest. I think a lot of people tend to look at the about me page or just kind of browse their Instagram or maybe scroll through a few of their socials and gather their questions that way. And I don't think that's a bad starting point. I actually would recommend that. But where I think the interview becomes a lot more memorable is when you start asking guests things that they have never been asked before. So the way I like to find that type of gold information is listening to them on other podcasts, signing up for their newsletter, stalking their stories, looking at their highlights, scrolling back a few weeks and seeing what they were posting about. Because if you think about it, a lot of people are also starting from the About Me page and their socials. So what can you catch that maybe someone else didn't, or maybe a host didn't really dive deeper in their podcast where you have the opportunity to fill that gap. I think that's an incredible way to conduct an interview. And then getting specific. So for example, instead of asking, tell us about your business, I love when people give me um, specifics to back into. Like, tell us three tools that have saved you thousands of dollars in your business. Or you know, tell us um, your best client experience and why was that your best client experience? Like, was it because of the testimonial at the end? Was it because of the transformation? Like, walk us actually through the specifics because I think that's what a lot of people gloss over. And we're in an age now where we are completely bombarded with information. And so what sticks out is those specifics. It's actually interesting you just mentioned the meme because that is so specific, right? It was so, it's that head nod moment where you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I do feel therapeutic every time I do a podcast. That's kind of what you're trying to do with interviews too, is cause those head nod moments that are so granular that someone listening is like, oh yeah, I've also been in a financial situation where, you know, my sister had to Venmo me money because I was unable to even pay my rent that month. Like that's pretty relatable. Um, So I love to ask questions where you can really drill down. And then I also think um, finding that gold happens when you can ask them more personal questions that they, again, normally don't get asked. So, for example, like a business owner, asking about their business is probably something they get asked about all the time. But asking them, like, what drew them to live in Spain or why are they always posting about romance novels? Like, what's interesting about that? Because the reason you want to do that is it gets them to put their guard down because it shows you've done a lot of research. And it feels like then you're at coffee or brunch with a friend versus a very formal interview, which, you know, is a little more media trained, a little more run of the mill answers. So those Mm -hmm. are a few tips I have for running a really good interview. Yeah, that's such good stuff. I always find when I'm going on to a show, if the conversation's like, what's your purpose? How'd you get there? What's the story? I feel a little bit strange because I'm like, I can't really promote this back to my audience because they already know my story like really well. And if I just tell it again, they're going to be like, yeah, Andy, we got that like five years ago. (laughs) So like, we're good on that story. But you know, maybe that other person's audience, it, it may be impactful for, but it feels a little bit like, oh, now I'm just sharing something that I've rehearsed and shared so many times that I'm not even feeling like I want to get that intimate. So tell me about a time when you felt like on your show, you had an opportunity to really get intimate with someone and what that was, what, what that opened up for both you and the guest. Ooh, yeah. I think it's something I honestly really pride myself on when I ho- host an interview. It's like I want to have that intimate conversation. I think if I actually drill down to like why I even started it, 
it, when I started my podcast, it was actually after a breakup and I wanted connection. I wanted to talk mm. to other people and just literally, like I said earlier, pick their brain. So that really is the crux of a lot of my interviews is I don't want to just have like a run of the mill interview that, again, like you said, you, you can find on almost any other podcast. So I'm thinking of a specific intimate conversation was one where um, I really was curious how this guest was building such a, a huge business, but also was um, moving really not what's the word I'm looking for. She was progressing a lot in her relationship where she got engaged and she was buying a house and it was all these life milestones. And personally, as entrepreneurs listening to this show, we know how stressful entrepreneurship is and balancing relationships. So it was just fascinating to me to see like, how is she building this empire, but also buying a house, which is a really stressful process, also planning a wedding, also taking care of her health. Like, I want to know what goes on in her brain. Like, is she handling it that easy? Is she, do, do her and her partner get in fights over her business? Does she put her business first? Does she put her partner first? Like, I, it honestly was a bit more like selfish because I wanted sure. to know the answers. And I feel like because I was so curious about it, the conversation got really intimate and she started really opening up about it. And at the end, she was like, wow, I've I've never really been asked any of those questions. And um, she ended up having me on her show because of the conversation we had. And she was like, that was just such an incredible conversation. And you really made me feel like you were listening and cared about my life in a way that a lot of hosts don't. And I think that was, if if you actually just zoom out, the the, the reason it was so um, intimate was because I was just curious as if me and her were grabbing coffee. Mm. I mean, and what would it look like if we just applied that into our everyday life conversations too? Like we're here talking about podcasting, but the reality is like, what if we, when we went and had actually had a coffee with a friend or had a Zoom catch up with a friend, we actually just showed up with curiosity versus like, mm -hmm. all right, let's hit all the high notes of everything that's right. going on. One of my best girlfriends said to me the other day, we we use that app, Marco Polo, that's like, I don't know if you know of it. It's like, you basically can like record a FaceTime video and you just send these oh, yeah, videos back and forth. Yeah. So we use that and we like basically are recording like five minute life updates and, you know, what's going on back and forth. And we do it all the time. So it's like, you know, regularly we're getting these like five minute updates. And she said to me the other day, she said, what if we became those people that just called each other on the phone without even a, a text beforehand, just because we were curious about what the other one had going on that day? And hey, maybe sometimes it wouldn't land, like we'd both be busy, but what if we actually just had that moment with each other? And it's like, oh my gosh, should that even have to be so profound? Right? Yeah. Like, like you said, it's interesting that we almost have to talk about things that used to be so natural for us. And I obviously that's because of the internet age and internet culture and trends and just the speed at which things are evolving. But yeah, I think the point and the through line here is like, if you approach things with genuine curiosity, it will get you really far. Mm, so, so true. So I want to have a conversation. This is something you've talked about recently on your show. And it's partly what you're talking about in this in this intimate interview that you have. And it's this idea of putting folks that we idolize on pedestals. And in the case of this guest that you had, I'm sure many people in conversations with her were looking at, she's buying a house, she's getting married, she's so fit, she's doing all these things. And we're really idolizing her lifestyle versus allowing her to be real and to be a human being like the rest of us. We so often think that the people that we are looking at on Instagram or hearing on podcasts or seeing on reality TV or whatever it is, don't have real life shit going on and they're not real life women like we are. And then in turn, that makes us even smaller in our own minds, which is such a mind fuck. So I just want to get your perspective on that. You have a whole show dedicated to this conversation. Um, what, what's, your, what's your take on why we do this to ourselves and why we take what we see on the internet or Instagram as truth and a truth that we don't have the possibility of for ourselves. Oh, yeah. I have so much to say about this. Um, I have a really unique perspective on this because I worked in the influencer marketing industry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was on <laughs> that back end. Like I said, where we were always looking at people's numbers and engagement rates and, you know, were they a fit for the brand and this and that. 
And then this blur happened where like coaches kind of started becoming influencers and then podcasters were influencers and now journalists are influencers. And it's become this blurred line of like everyone's kind of an influencer in their own right. And I feel like the reason we put people on pedestals is because if you think about like in any other ancient era or society, there's always been a class system, right? There's like royalty, there's the king and the queen, or there's the Greek gods, or there's the president. There's always someone in charge. And I feel like um, it, it's based on titles and numbers. So like I just said, the president, the king, the queen, these are really high titles in society. So I think when we transition to the online world, and it was kind of a free-for-all, right? Like the wild, wild west of everyone's, everyone can be a king or queen online, everyone started at kind of having to like make their own kingdom by building their following or adding people to their email list or whatever the, you know, metric we want to use here is. We'll talk about Instagram because I feel like that's where the, it's the most prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we start using these metrics as a, a quick threshold to, to see what their status is. And then we add the brand deals like, oh, well, she's so big, she got to deal with whoever, Revolve, or she just got sent to Coachella. Like, she's a big deal. And so we start to put them on these pedestals because we're like, oh, it's like the way our brain works is like there's this kind of hierarchy or class system we've made up for social media. And if you think about it, um, that's how Instagram doesn't have to have a follower or followers count, right? Like, that's kind of an unnecessary feature. We could just all follow each other and not see who follows and follows back, Mm -hmm. but they need analytics to pitch brand deals. So that's why I think we've, and if you look at the lifestyles of influencers, they're usually really aspirational, right? Like I just said, they're getting flown to Coachella. They're getting a free trip to Ibiza. They just got sent a swag box. And so we start to see it as like, they're almost the internet gods of the world of, oh, you're living an easy breezy life. You get all this free stuff. You make a lot of money you know, who wouldn't want that, right? Like, let's be honest, who doesn't want to like have all those things? And so I think that's why we start to put them on pedestals. But what ends up happening is you start to make them infallible. Like, well, they have such a nice life that they can't ever, like, they must not deal with anything, right? If if you're getting flown to Spain, as you can tell, guys, I'm going to Spain this summer and I keep (laughs) referencing Spain. But I'm like, yeah, if you're getting like flown internationally and free stuff, you must not have a care in the world. You must have no stress. You must have no body image issues. Like we just project all these assumptions on them. And then what that does, it, it I think it does two really harmful things. It dehumanizes them because you're giving them no room to be a human and experience human emotions as if somehow scoring a brand deal or getting flown on a private jet makes you suddenly immune to human emotions, but it also in turn makes you smaller. Like you said, we're kind of putting ourselves down of like, she's up here and I'm down here. And so it creates this perpetual, really nasty cycle of, well, let me just try to be better and gain more followers. But it's like never enough, right? If you want 500,000 followers, when you hit that, you're going to want a million. When you hit a million, you're going to want 2 million. Like it just never, ever stops. And so I think what we can do to try and stop really thinking of everyone of like, oh my God, she's so much better than me. She has so much more influence. She has more followers. Is just remember they're human beings. They also have human emotions. They they deal with grief. They deal with sadness. They deal with stress. They deal with everything. You're not immune to the human experience just because you make a certain amount of money or have brand deals. And I think it's really interesting that we've taken Instagram as truth um, because we all know we're putting our highlight reels out, right? Like, yeah, I put my highlight reels out. I, I put my best. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, but little do you know, like on the back end of all the personal things I'm going on with, even though I do talk about it on my podcast, which is why I love having one. But it's like you actually never know what someone's truly, truly going through. So I think because Instagram doesn't allow for that layer of context, right? You have a caption limit. You have a reels video limit. You can only post 15 second stories. Like you don't have that room to expand on things. Um, we're starting to see that, right? Where people are opening up way more in like stories and reels and longer captions. That became a thing in the last three years. But I think because that didn't exist before, it was just like, hey, look at me. I'm here and I'm here wearing this brand and doing this. We just accepted like that's their lifestyle. And I think the facade there is starting to fall back a little bit. And we're starting to understand like, 
yeah, maybe everyone isn't as heroic as we make them to be. And maybe we shouldn't stop making them heroes. Um, but it's a really interesting conversation. I think it's, I think my opinion on it is going to keep evolving. I think we're going to see a lot of things shift in the next few years with just how many platform updates are coming out and how everything's evolving. But yeah, that's my take on it right now. I know it's a lot. <laughs> no, it's it's such a good it's such a good thing to be in consideration of. And I, I think it has such an effect on our creativity as well. When we're comparing ourselves to others' highlight reels, even though we know that it is a highlight because we're doing the exact same thing for the most part, we start to suppress our creativity because in some way we think that we need to align to what we're seeing as like quote unquote successful or effective on the internet. And then all of a sudden, like our authentic creativity is in question in our own minds. A hundred percent. I think that happened even with me, right? Like I, when I first started coaching, I actually started my whole career as a mindset, a manifestation coach. And when I started following other people for inspiration, it almost, you don't even notice it happening. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, like my graphics look very similar to everyone's, my color palette, my, the way I speak. And I don't talk like that. I'm actually a much different personality than, than what I'm showing online. And I even had a few people in my life point out, like, I think you're way goofier than you allow yourself to be online. I think you're way more like spunky and you're kind of watering it down by by like putting it with this like bubblegum filter on. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting that people are noticing that. And that's when it, I had to check myself, like you said, and be like, is this my actual unique creativity or is it I'm trying to like be digestible because, oh, I see that girl went viral or I see she just mm. booked, you know, a $10,000 package. Maybe I need to make myself look like hers. But when you do that, you actually are watering yourself down. And it's a constant practice, right? Like we're constantly... It's it's the weirdest paradox. We want to stand out, but not so much that we want to feel alone. So it's a constant practice. Okay, I'm going to ask you something that I feel like is kind of unique to this space, this coaching space. And yeah. actually, my fiance and I have had this conversation almost every time we talk about Instagram and creativity. So in the coaching space, there's a lot of folks that tell you how much money they're making as an intended, uh, the intention I think is inspiration, of course, but it's also, if I can get you to believe that you can make what I'm making, then you're going to be more interested in buying from me. And when my fiance and I have this conversation, he's a musician and he's like, it's so tacky. Like in the music world, we would never be like, oh, the record deal I just got was this amount of money or like the tour, like the tour number in terms of like what we're being paid for this tour is this. He's like, but in your space, the women are like yelling about how much money they're making. And he's like, are you into that? Is that like cool? Is that like tacky? Like what's the story? And I go back and forth on whether or not I find that to be something that is inspiring or if it's like, if it's just gross, I can't decide. And sometimes I'm I am personally inspired by it. And sometimes I'm like, I don't think I can follow them anymore because if I see one more thing about like how much money they just made, I'm going to like throw up because I'm just grossed out by it. And it's kind of person by person. What's your take on that? Oh my gosh. Very interesting. I I'm a little conflicted as well because like you said, I think what that did, what the, you know, marketing with numbers did was open our eyes to what was possible because, yeah. you know, when I first heard even $10,000 a month, people were talking about, I was like, what? And then I heard, you know, people having $50,000 months and $100,000 months. And I'm like, that can't be real. Like people must be making this up. And then you get more and more into the coaching industry and you see how common it is yeah. for these types of numbers to to happen. And so it does open your mind, you know, to that, that whole quote of like, you are the five people you hang around. It's like, totally. oh yeah, if you're, you know, consuming five people's content or hanging around or investing in people that make that type of money, maybe you can make that type of money. Um, where I get conflicted and I get, um, I have a hard time with this is like you said, people lead with numbers as a credibility factor. Yeah. Like, oh, if I made $10,000, so can you. And that automatically makes me an expert. But that, that to me doesn't mean anything about your skill set or your level of expertise or how you teach. I think a lot of people make great money, but don't 
teach the actual material in a way that can be integrated. So a lot of people take courses and then don't finish them or don't see the transformation or whatever. And that's because they didn't develop a, a great teaching model. So to me, it's like marketing with that number was almost pointless. And then my other opinion on that is like, I actually don't see the point unless you are a business or money coach because that's the result, right? Like if I'm working with you to increase my business income, yes, I think it would be helpful to see what you make. But here's where I think people get it wrong. I wish they would show more of their client success stories. Here's my client that started out with making $2,000 a month. And after we implemented these three things, she now makes $7,000 a month, whatever yeah. the case is, right? That to me, I would, I can relate more to that story than I can another $10,000 day, another $10,000 day. I'm like, that's, that's not relatable. And I don't see why th- this is the point. This kind of goes back to the other question. That's when coaches make themselves the heroes. I'm the hero. I'm the star. Look at me. Be like me. And we need to make our clients the heroes. And I think that's that's the part I have a problem with is if there's no point of you sharing your number and you're just sharing it just because, to me, it's like that makes no sense. Like me as a podcast coach, what would sharing my income do? That doesn't mean anything about my skills as a podcaster or a storyteller. So I don't share my numbers because I'm like, there's no point. But now let's say if I was like, hey, here's how to score a brand deal. Even if you only have 500 followers, you could make $1,000 like I have and my clients. Oh, that's way more relatable. And that's something that, yeah, it makes sense because we're talking about brand deals and numbers. So yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. And it it does blow my mind that the coaching industry is like the only one that does it. <laughs> right. But then like you said, it's also a little bit inspiring because you're like, oh, she made it. Like I, it, it kind of lowers the the expectation that, or not the expectation, the barrier to entry, I guess, so to speak of like, oh, okay, yeah, I could make those numbers too, where, you know, in corporate America, you just don't see these types of numbers. So it's a really interesting- It's so interesting. um, Dialogue. Yeah. I mean, and I, as I'm talking about it, let's just be real. I have certainly done it. I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like laying in the like bathtub and like, oh, look at me. I made $10,000 while I'm laying in the bathtub and I didn't have to do anything. That's not my vibe. And I certainly see that vibe out there. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's, that's a thing. Um, it's not for me. (laughs) No, not for me, but I certainly have, especially in my manifestation courses, shared some of the things that I've been able to call into my life because I think that that is powerful, um, affirmation of what's possible. And then I really want to see my students have those same sort of successes so I can share those. So certainly, certainly I have done it. So anybody that's listening, that's like, wait, Andy, but you said, I oh, know, yeah. I know we've all kind of like, we've all done it. We've right? all done like, it. Yeah, we've all done it. And then I think we just have to ask ourselves, you know, what is the point of this? Am I doing this because it's a vanity metric and it looks, yeah. it makes me look more professional? Or is this actually going to help someone? And do I believe in my skill set that I can actually help someone make this type of money? Yeah. Well, and it's, it just, it takes me back to talking about vanity metrics, this, this whole thing around Instagram, you know, you mentioned newsletters, Instagram, all of these different ways that we can be in communication with community. And for me, my number one way of inviting people into my programs and my courses is through my newsletter. That's where I can get in the podcast. So where I can get the most real is on the podcast where I can, where, where I can really storytell and have a sustained conversation is through the newsletter. And then yet we spend all this freaking time on curating the reels and the Instagram posts and all of that. And I, I know wild. that that it is, it's so wild. I know that that is a place for nurturing, but the reality is I could probably have my business without it and it would be just fine. But it's like, we feel like we, we need to, in some capacity, stand on that pedestal of our own in some, in some way and be a part of whatever that is. Oh yeah. I I spent the first three months of this year talking about that topic on my podcast. I actually had a girl on who has a podcast called Off of the Grid, where the whole point was, can you run your business off of Instagram? And she successfully has. And it is something that, you know, deep down, you're like, I do trust myself and think that I could run my business outside of Instagram. But there's this weird pool of like, you almost feel like you're missing out on something big in the world. Like you're not on Instagram. Why are you not on Instagram? And why are you not 
promoting yourself there. You could be making so much more money. You could have so much more, you know, influence or whatever the case is. And I, yeah, it's, it's something that I still go back and forth with. Like, do I want to be on Instagram this much when just like you, I have the data that my clients come from podcasting or newsletters. So I think a way that I've kind of reframed my relationship to Instagram is flipping the model a little bit is taking my podcast content turning it into emails, and then turning that into Instagram content, where before I used to treat them as like three totally different areas mm. of business and spin my wheels for every single one of them. And it caused so much stress and anxiety. I I couldn't keep all three of them up. And I just realized, wait, you can repurpose it. And we don't have to be putting all our eggs in the Instagram basket. But I think what happens is because that's where we're the most active and where our clients can like, or potential clients can immediately DM us. That's the weird like mind trick is, well, yeah. all my, you know, all my clients are DMing me there. So I feel like that's where I'm getting clients. But when you look at the data, it's not usually from Instagram. So it's something that I think requires a lot of looking at your analytics and data and finding out where people are coming from. Um, and also, like you said, just understanding it's, it's maybe not where you want to be putting as much energy if it doesn't feel that reciprocal. Mm, and I, I think something you just said is such a is such a hot tip. You said, I take my podcast content and turn that into newsletter content and then turn that newsletter content into Instagram content. So it's like you've you've already had this opportunity through the podcast to really speak your truth and show up as your most authentic self and communicate in the way that feels so authentic to you and you you do that on your podcast and then when you take that and don't have to get in this like mind spin around oh now what do I need to post on Instagram now what do I need to write for the newsletter you're just channeling that all the way through the time you must save doing that has got to be incredible as a entrepreneur that time is so valuable and just the it just feels like the most real way to show up yes and you're making in my opinion the most impact with your content because before it was like oh the you know the podcast is live but I'm promoting it once or twice and then off I go to my email newsletter sending one email off I go to Instagram posting 5,000 things where it's like wait I almost feel like the podcast which actually has the most valuable information is getting glossed over and so I just feel like when you don't repurpose it and like you said see it all the way through you're not making as much of an impact with that message as you could mm, so good I need to think about that in my own business. <laughs> like, hmm, need to do something well, I'm, I'm still working on it. I mean, it's a process because they are different platforms, right? Like, I wish it was as easy as like, oh, let me just take this content, plug it here, here, here. But like one's for reading, one's for scrolling, one's for like multitasking and listening. So you do have to think about the user for each one. But I do think we tend to do way more work than we need to when it comes to content creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that that is so true. And I host a couple of times a, a year um, mastermind programs for creative and spiritually soul-led business women. And it's always one of the things that comes up the most is just the content game. How do I get everything created that I need to create? Do I need to hire someone? What if they don't get my voice? Do I need a copywriter? Like, it's just, it's such a it's 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 a challenge and yet it is so necessary to get our message out and the ways that can help us to be more efficient and more true to self are are really important to find those to find those strategies. I feel like listening to your episodes you are someone that is really great at reflection on what works and reflection on like let me think of how to even how to even ask this question. It's like you recognize when you've gotten comfortable with something and when mm. there's a better way to do something that might be uncomfortable at first. Is that just something that's naturally who you are or how did you find your how did you find your stride in in that way? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like honestly, if I really think about it, I think it came from when I was in college. I was in so many um programs that you had to share with the whole class and they would provide critiques on. And I had to learn really early on, like to receive uncomfortable feedback and criticism. Mm -hmm. Like we would literally air our videos in front of a class of 20 and people would just raise their hands. Like, I didn't like that transition, or I think you could have had a way stronger intro or whatever the case is. And that same concept applied to 
my grad school. And then when I got into sales, it was like quadruple that. It was like, whoa, that's not how you put a proposal together. Like we need to work on your emails. We need to work on follow-ups. And so I just got so used to like quickly getting feedback and adjusting like that because that's how I learned to get better was, okay, you did that, but it didn't work. You need to fix it for next time. And then seeing that it worked the next time. So when I started my own business, I applied that. And I honestly, as, as uncomfortable it is to send feedback surveys, I like sending them because it's like, instead of me spinning my wheels of what worked and what didn't, let me ask clients and see what they say. Okay, yeah, I had a hunch that that didn't work, but now seeing it in writing that someone also felt the same way, it only is going to make my program better and have more of a success rate of people completing it if I make it with that or make that tweak that that feedback form said. So I feel like that's a very tactical thing that I learned from my background. And then personally, like knowing your energy, right? This just happened last night where I'm like, I am overwhelmed. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like I have team members, I've automated so much. I have softwares, like how am I this overwhelmed? And I just realized there's something missing with the way I'm like batching my work or I'm not having a system set up where I need to have it set up. So I had to pause and be like, is there something that I can stop doing or, or start doing or automate? And, uh, to be honest, it was like the podcast right now that I turn out weekly. It needs a better system with planning, and I was like, okay, so that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to mm. have to pause and we're just going to have to, you know, maybe do a biweekly schedule or just take a quick two-week break and then get back to it. But it's because I was listening to my energy and I noticed I am stressed the F out and this is not normal. It's not just because I'm traveling. It's because something is broken in my internal world and I have an opportunity to fix it. Mm, so good. Yeah, because so often we just are like, oh, I need to hustle harder and push through this and just deal. And the reality is because, well, even even deeper than that, we just believe that that's how we should be working. And so right. when we have some ease and flow, we're like, whoa, am I not doing this right? It seems too easy. So when we it's actually, so it's so it's so real, right? So then we actually shift into a place of finding ease and flow, that can be really hard to get there because we have to do the work to find the structure and the systems that are going to work for us in order to find that ease and flow. And then we have to believe that ease and flow is how our business is going to thrive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that most of us leave corporate jobs to start our own and an easier <laughs> life, so to speak. And then we're like, this is 80 times harder than what I remember corporate yep. to be. And yeah, I think it's interesting that when we start seeing more white space in our calendar and we have more time for vacation and we're making more money, it's like this wrench gets thrown in the plans of like, I have to make myself busy. And I, like you said, I think it's something deeply rooted in just our culture and, um, you know, proving our worth through work. And it's something that is a really, really hard conditioning pattern to unlearn. Um, it's something I still have to work on. Like yesterday, I watched Siesta Key for 10 hours. And I was like, yeah, I just need a break. I like needed to disassociate for a little bit. And today I woke up like, why did you do that? Like that is a whole day you could have been writing and working and creating. And I'm like, I haven't done that in six months. Like I haven't had a binge marathon in ages. And it just, I had to remind myself, like, I don't have a boss. I'm my own boss. I can do that if I want to, but it's not easy. It is something that I think we're constantly all trying to find that balance between ease and flow, but working hard to get there, but not working so hard that we like want to throw in the towel. Yeah. And it is true to you. It's such a real life thing to, to need to do sometimes is like, I just need to like step away and like turn on the Netflix. And that doesn't make you any less connected. It doesn't make you any less inspired. It doesn't make you any less soulful. It doesn't mean you're going to manifest less. It doesn't mean your mindset isn't in the right place. Sometimes we just are human beings and we like need a minute and or 10 hours of a binge watch. And that's okay. It's absolutely yes. okay. Yes, it is. It was interesting because my friend did it with me too. And she actually said something. She's like, oh my God, I feel so guilty that we just did that. I'm like, isn't that interesting that like, we both didn't have to work today. We took yesterday off. Like, I came back from a vacation and I had a recovery day. And I'm like, but we're still feeling guilty about it. But it's like, we're not doing this every day. And we started our own businesses to create more space in our day. So, yeah, it's just interesting that we still constantly, after even years of having your own business, still have to work on that. Mm. 
So true. Okay. So I've got one more question for you. On the show, we spend a lot of time on mindset and manifesting your dream life. And I'm wondering, obviously you have a background in, in doing that work as well. So bringing these two things together, mindset manifestation and starting a successful podcast. If starting a successful podcast is a dream, how does one get into the right manifestation mindset to begin pursuing that dream? Oh, I think what I would do if I were starting in the beginning giving this advice is like, if you wanted people to share your podcast, or if you could imagine what a group text would say, you know, getting the link to your podcast, and they're like, wow, this podcast just blank, 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 right? Like made me laugh my ass off, made me cry. It was so intimate, made me think about the world in a totally different way. Like start there and really connect with that energy and that message and then start to get tactical with the the strategy because this is the part of manifestation that we all know is where the magic happens is in the action plan. So for me, if I wanted to make people inspired, for example, well, let me start out by jottering, jottering, <laughs> jotting down <laughs> inspiring stories or talk to inspiring people, reach out to people that have inspired me, go to places that inspire me and talk about my experience of how they inspired me. And you just start to kind of brain dump, like, what would that inspirational message look like? And then from there, again, really tactical steps, start recording, start listening to feedback, what's resonating with people, what's resonating um, in the analytics, like what are you seeing get a lot of downloads, and then keep going down that path and keep creating, also letting yourself evolve because you are a human being and you might want to talk about siesta key one day and you might want to talk about, you know, the power of manifestation one day and that's okay. Um, so yeah, I think if, if starting a podcast is your dream, start with the message and the vision and what you want people to feel and then try to take the very practical action steps to make it come to life knowing that your story matters. This is goes back to that influencer conversation. Um, you know, just because you're just starting out doesn't mean your story is not important that you, or that you don't have a unique perspective. We all have extremely unique perspectives and lived experiences and people want to hear that, right? Like you may be the only person in someone's sphere that that person can relate to, but you're not giving them an opportunity to do that if you keep holding yourself back because you think your story is not big enough or you're not, you know, influential enough to start a podcast. I think that's um, a, a mindset we've all probably dealt with when we start any creation. And I think it's important to remember we all start somewhere. And yeah, again, your story does matter. We want to hear it. Mm, so good. I, I heard someone say once, if you don't, I think it was the Almost 30 Girls, maybe. They said, if you don't look if you don't go back to your first season of episodes and cringe, then you didn't start early enough. You like oh, yeah. made it too perfect before you actually got ready to go. Yeah. Everyone says it, right? If you're, if you actually like are impressed by your first product, you waited too long. <laughs> I was like, I love that. Yeah. It's so good. So good. Oh my gosh. This has been so lovely, Chelsea, getting to chat with you and know a bit more about what's going on in, in the podcast space and how to get into a good headspace of getting that out the door if it's something that someone is interested in doing. Tell me, what what do you have on tap right now for people that are listening and they're like, yeah, I think this is for me. I want more of this. Chelsea, help me. What's What do you have available? Oh my gosh. I love to help people either launch, grow, or monetize their podcast. So when this episode comes out, I'll have one-on-one -on -one spots open for coaching and they are six months and we work very strategically together to see how we can either launch your podcast and then grow it and monetize it. And then the other way we can work together if six months is feeling like not really your vibe, maybe we can do a VIP day. And that's three hours together where we really focus on one or two topics. And we are going to go full deep dive into whatever you want to work on, whether that is monetizing, podcast interviewing, finding guests, finding sponsors. We really drill down on a specific topic during those VIP days. And I will have a few spots available for those as well. Beautiful. And where can folks find you? You can find me at Chelsea Rife on Instagram. My website is ChelseaRife.com. And then my podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion, which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Ooh, such a juicy one. I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. As a podcaster who was interviewing a podcast coach, I have to close this episode by asking you to please 
do me the best favor ever in the world of podcasting, and that is to leave us a review. Whether you're listening on Apple Pods or Google Pods or Spotify or wherever it may be, we would love to have a review from you. It makes my team and I do cartwheels and a happy dance every time we see a review come through on any of those platforms. And definitely screenshot it or maybe share something that you loved from this episode. Maybe there's a hot tip from Chelsea or from this conversation that we talked about at the beginning around comparison that really resonated with you. And if that's the case, share that on social media or send it to a friend. Tag us at your woo woo BFF. We love you for doing that. We also love getting to see who's listening and... I think with that, we are complete. I appreciate you so much. I will see you again next week. Much love, much love. Happy summer. Talk to you soon.